You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This is our Wine Club episode. <laughs> With us today, we have Pastor Darren Enns. Darren, what do you get when a what did the grape say when the elephant stood on it? Nothing. He just let out a little wine. <laughs> Pastor Drew Tarwater, how are you doing today? I'm good, guys. Good to be with you. Drew, I know we're dog guys. Do you know I've trained my dog Freckles to bring me a glass of wine? Oh, really? Yeah. She's a Bordeaux collie. <laughs> You're welcome. And I'm Rob Lazzi. Thank you so much for listening. It is our water to wine episode. Drew, can you give us a quick recap on uh, last week's sermon? I sure can. We kicked off a new series called Miracles, and we're looking at the book of John. John gives us seven miracles. We're going to look at five of them. And the very first one in John chapter 2 is Jesus going to a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And he turns um, the the wedding. They run out of wine, which is a no-no in that culture. Um, these weddings usually lasted up to seven days long. And so you run out of wine. It was pretty embarrassing for the groom and family. And so, uh, Jesus' mom, Mary says to Jesus, Hey, they ran out of wine. And Jesus goes and he takes these six stone jars that were meant for, uh, for like ceremonial washing. You know, you'd wash your hands before dinner and that kind of thing. And then uh, Jesus turned those into wine. Uh, what's really cool about this is that was about 180 gallons of water. If all those were filled to the brim, like Jesus told the servants to do, uh, which equates to about 900 bottles of wine. So Jesus hmm. didn't just make 10 bottles of wine. He made almost 1,000. Um, I heard it was so from a great about. year, too. It was great. It was year. a great year. It was vintage. Vintage, um, what was that? Vintage AD 27. So really, really good stuff. Good year. Yeah. Lots really of good water, year. good moisture that year. Oh yeah, it really was. <laughs> so what does, uh, what does this do for us? Like, you know, what does this have to do with us in the story? Yeah. One of the things I kind of shared was that I want us to see that these miracles of Jesus and John aren't just here to reveal Jesus' power. Uh, you know, Jesus revealed his power when he called him the storm. Um, you know, Jesus is going to reveal truth to us through each of these miracles. And the first one, um, you know, he, he reveals that, you know, not only does he have the ability to, to change things at the atomic level, he's creator, but it also reveals that he abundantly pours out his grace on people who don't deserve it. You know, he goes to this, he goes to this wedding. He, he's not in charge of it at all, yet he turns water into a thousand bottles of wine. And so just abundantly pouring out grace on this family. And, um, you know, it's a picture of the grace that he pours out for us when he comes in and changes our lives, when he changes us at the atomic level and makes us a new creation as well. So then how does that help us how we see Jesus? There's this really interesting verse early on in the text where Mary comes to Jesus and she's like, hey, Jesus, uh, so they ran out of wine. 
And Jesus says something really weird that we kind of joke, seems almost rude. Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? My hour has not yet come. And then Mary like just says, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. And a lot of times I've looked at that text and I've, you know, thought, well, what Jesus is kind of just saying, well, you know, what does it have to do with us? We didn't put the wedding on. But really, if you dive into what the meaning of that text is, is Jesus saying to her, what do we have in common? And so this signifies the change in Jesus' ministry. At this point, he's basically telling Mary, hey, Mary, I'm not your son anymore that goes and, and does things around the house. I'm the son of God now, and I'm about my heavenly father's business, about bringing in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so he's basically saying to, to Mary that you and I um, don't have anything in common in this, in this section um, or in this miracle. I'm going to do something to reveal who I truly am to, to the world. But it does bring up a really good point. Um, you know, basically he tells Mary, hey, Mary, stop treating me like your son. Start treating me like the son of God. And, and it brings up a good point for us. And, and this is, you know, kind of fun to, to kick around, Darren, is how does it challenge how we view Jesus? Yeah, as far as how we view God and things, there's all kinds of different metaphors we can use. Like, um, do you view God as like a personal butler? Like he's just there to serve you and 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 do your do your commands. Uh, this is something that I, I pitched to our life groups on our discussion guide. Um, that I was given this whole list and it's interesting and and I think there are, are others. Um, I'll just kind of highlight some of my favorites. Um, I think a lot of us view God as a mechanic, where when something's broken, we we take it to Him and say, "Hey God, I need this fixed. Can you can you help me out?" And um, the other one might be. Like, uh, let's make a deal. If you remember that game show with, 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 is it with Howie? Oh yeah. I think, yeah. It's like Howie Mandel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let, let's make a deal. If, if you, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Isn't this like, uh, as a kid, like, I don't know if you guys grew up in church, but like, God, if you don't let my parents know about what I just did, I'll go be a missionary in Africa. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the classic. There are no atheists in foxholes. Like every, yeah. every, every person who's in battle, you know, is, is making a deal with God. God, if you get me out of this, I'll be a priest. Yeah. God, if she says yes, that she'll go to homecoming with me, then I will do everything you tell me to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really common. Also, this one kind of, I don't, I don't, I feel like I have, I need to go to counseling for this one because I get, <laughs> I get kind of <laughs> pent up about it. Uh, it's the view of Santa. Um, mm. So Santa, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm actually fairly certain that I'm not going to do the whole Santa thing with my kids. Um, because it's a works. Earmuffs if you're riding in the car to school oh, yeah, with spoiler alert. kids in the back. Spoiler alert. Uh, there goes Darren again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is he enriching again? Is that what's I, happening? I'm enriching. Okay, so Santa is a works-based righteousness, meaning that if I do enough good, then he will be good to me. And that just doesn't gel with Jesus because that's totally not true at all. Um, you know, the whole thing, like he sees you when you're sleeping, that's really creepy. Like, why are we telling kids this? And then it's even worse. It gets the, the spoiler alert again. If you're, if you're sorry, the elf on the shelf, like I, 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 I like the, the stormtrooper on the pooper, like that kind of stuff is way more fun <laughs> or the, the Yoda, is Yoda in the coda. It's a music type thing. Anyway. Uh, we're getting way off base. Sorry about that, folks. Whoa, uh, rabbit trail. Anyway. Is, is, the, is the Santa aspect of God kind of more like the New Age karma? 
where it's like, yeah. hey, if I do more good than bad, then, you know, God will let me in because he wants me on his team. He wants me. Right. Yeah. It's it's all about, like, if I do enough good to outbalance my bad, then I will get into heaven. And that's that's not what, what true Jesus salvation is all about. So I, I just don't like the whole Santa thing. It's a I think it's an awful thing to teach kids. However, for someone who's four and five years old, like, they also just need to do good things. And we can, like... We, we at a certain level we can you know teach them into a behavioral belief too so it's extrinsic to versus it. intrinsic motivation right yeah. for yeah. a four to five year old or younger I mean I do the same thing if if my daughter sits on the potty she gets marshmallows like you do good you get good so I, I understand how that still works but I I believed in Santa way way too long so anyway moving on I mean, Darren basically like last year just kind of put it together yeah. It was a rough year. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a rough year. There's a 2020 was pretty rough for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, last one. Here here's how uh, an idea of how we how we how do we treat Jesus or how do we think about him? And this is one that I struggle with because I think in my default um mode when I'm like not in a good headspace, uh I I think of God as a critic. Uh, he writes reviews, he gives reviews, um, and he's he's really hard to please. Uh, like, there's good and bad, there's there's no middle ground. Like, it, and that, there's really no room for grace in that view. And that's that's kind of how I how I struggle, you know, like God is my critic. Drew, how do you, like, in, in your, throughout your day, how, what, like, two or three characteristics here do you think that you see, that you see in your life? Yeah, you know, I think it's... Uh... There's those phrases that people use about God. Well, hey, you know, uh, it's up to the man upstairs. You know, like God is just this guy who's upstairs. You know, if you if you know if he decides to come on down and fix some things, then then he will. You know, I think that's a common one. Yeah, he came. He came down like Jesus came. So he came downstairs at least once. Right, he did. Yeah, he 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 did. (laughs) You know, I do think the one that that really is interesting is this picture of judge that God is just waiting to catch us messing up, you know, which is so um, anti-gospel. It's so opposite of the, of the picture we see of God and Jesus throughout, you know, our Heavenly Father and, and Jesus throughout the entire, the entire Bible, you know, and I think that's the importance of understanding grace is, you know, that God's not a judge who just wants to catch us so he can slap us on our, our wrist. Or another one is God's a cosmic killjoy. It just doesn't want you to have any fun. You know, he wants you to follow these rules. It's like, no, you know, God wants you to live life to the fullest. And that's what Jesus said in John 10, that when the enemy comes, he wants to steal. He wants to kill, right? He promises you these things, but they really they just steal your joy where Jesus comes to bring you life. And so, yeah, I think it's just kind of a good, a good thing to ask, like, who is, who is God to you? You know, is, is he the, the pixie dust in our pocket? He's is the phone a friend. Is he the genie or is he the holy son of God? There's this scene in Isaiah six, which just puts goosebumps on my arms. And if I had any hair on my head, it would stand up. But, you know, in, in Isaiah six, follicles. Scene that, right, right. Uh, at least on my neck it stands, I guess. That's kind of gross. But, you know, there's this scene in Isaiah 6 where the you know Isaiah gets this glimpse into God's throne room and God's the train of his robe is filling the room. God's so just powerful. And then there's these angels with six wings and they've got wings floating them in the air. They've got two wings covering their feet and they've got two wings covering their eyes, you know, their faces. And they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's like... 
this picture of, is a picture of God. He is so holy. The angels can't even look on him because of his glory. And like, this is the God that loves you so much that he created you. And this is the God that, that loves you so much that sent Jesus here to die on the cross for you. And so this is his picture. Like God isn't our boyfriend. He isn't our homeboy. Like God is this holy, amazing, glory filled, um, you know, spirit that creates and has power over everything. Yet that God loves you so much. He sent Jesus here to be our friend and to be our, um, uh, you know, our advocate for, for who we and our are in our relationship with God. Uh, so I, I just love tying that back. Jesus says, Hey, Mary, I don't think of me, your son anymore. Think of me as the, as the son of God. And what a challenge for us. Let's not think of Jesus as just this guy that came and did something really cool. No, this is the son of God. He's our friend. Yes. But he's also the Holy one who spoke everything into creation. And I think it has the power to, to view our relationship with God and also humbles our heart to realize that God loves us that much. Drew, one of my favorite stories that you've shared with me, I've actually used it uh, as a sermon illustration and like the main point of my sermon. uh, You you talked about your seminary professor came in like one of your first days and like slammed something on the table and just yelled, (laughs) Jesus is not your homeboy. (laughs) (laughs) It was so awesome. Like we were all just like, whoa, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like Jesus is not your BFF. Like stop going on. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. Don't go out no, to dinner. I mean, <laughs> don't go out to dinner with Jesus. He's he's God. Stop that. Like yeah. Like he is so holy. Like, like it's ridiculous. It's interesting. We're like because like even in the Christian culture, like all those things get formed. It's almost like marketing campaigns that try to be like, hey, if we can make God a little bit more friendly and cozy, people want to get closer to him. Yeah. Have Fortnite. you guys seen these advertisements that Jesus gets us? Have you seen this? Oh yeah, I think I've seen him yeah, like during the football games. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's a massive marketing campaign. I'm I'm interested in in how they're going to progress. I think it's progress. good though. Yeah, you know, I think what they're doing is trying to help you see that hey, Jesus isn't the judge right. that we talked about, or he isn't that. What was the other one we talked about? The uh, the divine watchmaker. You know, he's not just a man upstairs, but like he, he understands, like he was born of a, of a, you know, he was an immigrant, you know, from Egypt and he was born with a single mom, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. Like just trying to tie in, mm-hmm. you, you know, some understanding, like Jesus understands. Uh, but it is interesting, you know, just thinking about like you know, where we come from in our world. How, do, how does, how does Jesus step into our space? He's holy. He's our friend. He's our advocate, uh, but he's a son of God. So how does that change how we look at him? No, absolutely. So, Darren, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Is like, what are some of the like in the day when Jesus changed the water to wine and all this? What's like, what's related in like the Greek myths that the mm-hmm. people of the culture may have may have known then instead of like how we see it? Like we yeah. see it as kind of like a, a parlor trick, and they may have related it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so. With the miracles in John specifically, I, I I don't know off the top of my head how all of them relate, but I know that there are some scholars who have matched up these miracles to Jesus having power over some Greek or Roman god, much like you can do the same thing um, in in the plagues of Exodus. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So like there there's a god uh, in the Greek or Roman world called Dionysus. And he is um, the god of wine and a ton of other things too. I just looked it up real quick and there's like a hand like several handfuls worth of things that he is the god of which is always interesting to me because like if if you search the origins of these gods they always typically start in a different culture and then they're like brought in 
like other gods are combined or they might have different names. So here are our list of things that Dionysus is the god of. So he's the god of the grape harvest and winemaking, orchards, fruit, vegetation. You can kind of understand that. Then we start to go into a different realm. Fertility. You can also get that in in trees and fruit and stuff. Um, Insanity, ritual madness, religious ecstasy, festivity, and theater in the ancient Greek religion and myth. Like there's so many things that this one God is tied to. So it's just interesting. But Jesus uh, can be seen uh, through these miracles of having power, you know, in in a way that a Greek, Greco-Roman God um, is is supposed to have the same power. And throughout the book of John, we're going to see, as Drew's mentioned, like Jesus reveals his power. Um, John tells us that he writes these things so that we can know and believe that Jesus is the son of God. And uh, by the end, we see Jesus up on a throne with a crown. He has a royal robe, uh, and he's like he he carries his his throne, the cross, up to his, his place. And and the way that John constructs, especially in chapter nineteen uh, and twenty, is that Jesus is like it, his crucifixion is his enthronement. Uh, it's it's really interesting to see how how John does this. So yeah, it's like divided up into two sections. The first one is a proof of who God is or who Jesus is. And then the second half is kind of like, so what? Like, here's what we're going to do. in Because in, over the, the second half of Book of John, a lot of it, Jesus is just talking to his disciples after the, the Lord's Supper, after they do the Passover feast. So yeah, John, the Book of John is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at the way that the Bible is written to its original audience. We talked about this a lot during the beginning series, which Darren, you just referenced, but I think one of the things God wants to do is he, he knows that we come in with this worldview that we have crafted on our own. Um, and, and he wants to deconstruct this, um, this false view of, of the world. And especially, you know, with, with Moses to these people of, of Israel who got rescued out of Egypt, he's got to deconstruct their view of these pagan gods in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to, to John's audience, you know, John's writing this, um, you know, decades after Jesus died and John's writing at this point to, you know, John's in Ephesus, probably he, he's written this to, you know, a Greek audience of Christians who grew up hearing about Dionysus and grew up hearing about Zeus and all these Greek gods. And so, yeah, they're, you know, we don't catch it, but within these things, you know, is John using some of this imagery of how Jesus did these miracles to help break down and deconstruct this mythological worldview and help people build a biblical worldview? Um, it's way more clearly seen in, say, Genesis 1. Um, but, you know, Jesus is, just think of how brilliantly powerful Jesus is. Like, he ties in these miracles in Israel that one day John is going to be able to use those exact miracles that spoke to Hebrew people to tie them in to deconstruct a mythological, you know, view um, worldview uh, in Greece and Rome. And it just, it, it's just every time you mine God's word, it just gets deeper and deeper, and the more and more gold you find. It's just such a beautiful reality. No, it's interesting to think about all that. And then the big question that I think everybody, when with this story, the you know, the water to wine. So then is alcohol bad? Like how do, what's the, you know, it's like if Jesus turned water to wine, you know, bottoms up. Yeah. Especially, you know, when, you know, we, we've got a lot Baptist roots here at forefront. And, you know, if you grew up in a, um, in a Baptist kind of a Baptist faith tradition, you know, there's just been a lot said about alcohol and, 
and um, and that kind of stuff. I, I think the one thing you see throughout the Bible is that God never condemns alcohol. He just condemns drunkenness. You know, you see that um, all over the place, right? You see it all the way back in, you know, the, the picture of Noah and Genesis. Uh, you, you see that Paul talks about, you know, the it's not what you... Um, you know, it's just the idea of like drunkenness leads to debauchery. So be sober minded. Um, so I, I think, you know, within our Christian liberty, it's, it's all, it's a conscience issue. If you want to have a glass of wine and you feel like within your Christian liberty, you can do that. And it's not going to change the state of mind or it's not going to put you in a place where, um, you're all of a sudden telling dirty jokes or you're using bad language or you're putting somebody else at risk, then I think that's a Christian liberty. A lot of Christians will say, you know, I, I just don't know that I've got the, I, I just don't feel the good conscience. I can have a glass of wine or drink a beer and, and keep myself, you know, above reproach and, and focus on holiness. And then there's a, a, a lot, another, you know, a lot of others that say, yeah, I, you know, I can have a glass of wine um, with dinner and enjoy it to the glory of God. And it's not going to lead me to a path where I'm going to be tempted to, to drink more or to um, lead myself to some, you know, really ugly place. So I think it's an individual Christian decision. Um, but you, you definitely see this picture of wine symbolized as the grace of God in Scripture. So, you know, it can't be all bad. Yeah, I, I've done a little bit of research on the the history of this because um, mm-hmm. I grew up. I, a lot of people have extremes on on either end. Like either they grew up and there was zero alcohol, it was viewed as awful, or they grew up in in a house where it was abused and there was alcoholism. And um, like I've heard stories of you know as soon as as someone can drive, they're going to get their mom or dad from the bar because they're they're too smashed to drive home. Like it's it's there's a lot it's of responsible. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, having your 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 son or daughter drive when they're sixteen just got their license. Uh, yeah, that, no, that, <clears throat> yeah, it does a lot of damage. But anyway, uh, I I think one of the roots of why alcoholism has been viewed as bad, especially in America, um, is in the Methodist Methodist movement, um, starting in like the seven, late seventeen hundreds um, when you got John Wesley and stuff. It, they kind of started to view it as. Uh, as an abusive type of thing where, hey, if there's something that can lead us down a road to a bad place, we should probably stop. And so for a long time, um, in, uh, I'm just looking up this on, on I'm Googling it. Uh, it's like 1780. There was this conference where they started to oppose people who would distill alcohol and, and even drink it. And so they started this movement, which peaked, I think, in the 1920s with Prohibition. Um, as, as kind of the, the peak, like, yes, we've done it. Like America is no longer going to be sinful, but of course that just led it underground and then it was abolished and you know, nothing, it it hardly really changed for a lot of people. And then you have uh, the movement that continued forward, uh, that you can see in like the moral majority, Uh, a lot of Southern Baptists, which are different Baptists than I think forefronts heritages um you know they viewed things like playing cards and rollerblading and going to movies and drinking alcohol all of it was bad uh, because those kinds of things led to other sins and so it was like it was almost like a pharisaical type of movement where you push the line up so far that it's actually not it's it it's kind of oppressive like i only recently sold my rollerblades um so like was i <laughs> was i sinful like for a long time much no just like in, in, in Southern Baptist, you, you, you didn't have card playing, but in Northern Baptist, you had bridge tournaments. Like it just really depends <laughs> on, on what your, what your, what your tradition is. 
Yeah. You hear the word moderation, you know, a lot when it comes to these kind of things. And I, I think when you get to this idea of like rule keeping, it does become very pharisaical, Darren. And this idea of like moderation, you, you can, you can go to the extreme in anything, right? You can go to the extreme and eating, right? If, if every night you're going to the, the buffet line and gorging yourself, yeah, that's going to lead to debauchery. You can, you can, you know, do it with what way you spend your money. And, um, obviously with alcohol and, you know, now that weed is legal in Colorado and so many other States, like you think about all those things, like you can take anything, um, too far, and, and, you know, we, we would argue that, okay, well, you can have maybe one beer and be of sound mind, but you can't have any THC for marijuana because that's going to take you to a place where you're not in your right mind. You can get in those d- debates about all kinds of substances, painkillers, all that stuff. But I think what Jesus wants to do is he wants to get to your heart and say, why? Like, why do you want to go drink so much? Is it, you know, why do you want to go eat so much? Like, you know, do it, are we covering up? Are we trying to um, find joy in the things of the world, or are we trying to hide our anxiety or whatever it is? And Jesus wants to get down to the root issue of you know what have we made idols in our lives, and what do we need to be made new? And I think Jesus, with his miracle, says, "I make all things new." So when you, uh, when I take water and turn it to wine, I change the molecular structure. And when I, when you say yes to me and you follow me, I change you from the inside out. I change, you know, the, the, who you are and you become a new creation. And so at the heart of this miracle, I think Jesus is saying, just like I came to bring a new covenant to Israel, I came, I come to bring a new life to, to those who choose to follow me. Yeah. Now it's interesting. Like you guys are saying too, is like with the, on the fair sagal terms where it's like, it's like the wall behind the wall, behind the wall to help protect you from getting to the wall where, you know, it's like good intentions gone awry mm-hmm. where right. people are trying to help and protect. And I think that's one thing we want to remember is when, you know, you find people that have higher walls or different walls in different places is like, they're trying to protect themselves and probably yourself too. Is like where they've seen something happen and they're coming out of a place of concern, even though it may not be, a hurdle for you or, you know, or a obstacle or something that you struggle with. It's something they've seen other people struggle with and they're trying to look out for, you know, look out for you. Yeah. It, it's come into a new type of understanding in my mind as I'm raising my daughter. Um, even as, as I, I taught kids, like what, where, what do I want them to not do? And then how far do I let them approach that line before I like lose it? Or before I, you know, pull some kind of discipline thing. So we have a we have a little water feature in our backyard that has a fountain. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 got like little gates and just or a, a little like fence you just pen it to the ground and put it around it. So like that's that's good. But then okay, do I let Evangeline go like stand next to it? Do I let her touch it? How like how far do I let her go with that? Because she started to want to climb over it. It's like well, <laughs> should I have not ever let her even touch the touch the fence? Because, you know, it's the same thing in our Christian lives. How far how far would we allow ourselves to drink alcohol? Like, how tipsy can we get? When does it cross the line into being a sin? That's a really fine line. And so there are plenty of people, and I respect it, that just don't touch it. Like, I, I know yeah. I, I don't even want to touch it because I don't want to even tempt that line because I know myself. And I, I respect right. that very much. Yeah, absolutely. No, so as we look ahead then to next, or any closing thoughts, I should say on alcohol here, it's sort of a, big topic and I don't want to take it too lightly, but 
like as you know any parting thoughts especially because it's like crutches it's like what what do you struggle with like you yeah. guys are saying it could be multiple things and alcohol what is I would always say the is, yeah yeah what, what i would say on this rob is that you know if, if you are someone and you listen to this podcast or you know have someone in your life their alcohol has gripped you and it's become something other than um you know like like in this wedding Wine made you marry at a wedding, right? You had a glass of wine. Now, remember, alcohol content in wine in Jesus' time was like a fifth, like 20% of what it is today. So Which back is, then, is like 2%. Class. We want to make sure it's not 20% alcohol. It's 2%. <laughs> yeah, Just to be clear. Like, uh, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, five glasses of wine in Jesus' day would equal one in today's day, you know? Five, four or five. And so, you know, back in the day, they'd go to a wedding, they'd have a glass of wine or two, they would dance and sing and laugh. And, you know, and so, um, you know, if you're going out to a, to have a nice steak dinner with friends and you get a nice glass of wine to go with your steak and you're telling, and you're, you're enjoying an evening with friends, that's very different than if every day you come home from work and you drink four bottle glasses of wine, four bottles, you drink four glasses of wine to help, you know, ease the pain of the fact that you hate your job and you don't like your friendships. So if, if you're someone who alcohol has gripped you because you're trying to dull the pain or you're trying to do, uh, to forget the world or th- those are huge red flags. And I think, you know, come talk to us. We'd love to pray and talk with you and help you find some resources because Jesus wants us to find life in him and then enjoy the gifts that he's given us. And if we're looking to find life in wine or food or money or anything else, then it's a signal that our hearts are, are have become idol factories for the wrong thing. And so, Rob, that's all I would say is just our actions reveal our inner heart often. Um, you know, Jesus says it's not what you put in, it's what comes out that reveals your heart. And so I just think if you're seeing that alcohol has a grip on you, let's adju- let's address that before it gets it gets too bad, or if it's already bad, let's jump on it right now and get you the help you need. No, sounds good. If you have questions or you need help with something, like, reach out to us. The best way, you know, quickly would be life at forefrontchurch.tv. Send us, you know, if you need prayer, if you need someone to reach out to you, let us know. Life at forefront forefrontchurch.tv. Or if you're there on Sunday, let put a note in the connection card on, and put in the box in the back. Love to connect with you. Love to pray for you. Love to help you. Love to connect you to resources that could help you out if that's what you need. So whether it's an, an alcohol issue or other issue that you're a dependent issue on, we'd love to get you connected to people that can help you out and professionals. And we're not going to say we have all the answers, but at least we, we know a good network of people that could help you out. So reach us out to reach out to us here. So, Drew, next week, what are we talking about? Yeah, so we're actually going to skip the second miracle. Uh, we'll talk about it briefly. That's when Jesus heals the um, heals the official son from twenty miles away, which is amazing. But we're going to focus on Jesus um, in John five healing this man who was uh, an invalid, who's lame, who's sitting by the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, which sparks a pretty big controversy with the Pharisees. And so that one's going to be fun to dive into. Um, on Sunday. So I don't want to give you any more than that because it's going to be a really exciting time to think about what is Jesus teaching us again with this miracle. Darren, any parting thoughts? Nah. Nah. Okay. Well, with that, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get this wrapped up here. And I just, I learned something here real quick that, uh, with talking about wine is that, uh, I guess there's non-alcoholic wine and I guess it's kind of good, but there's oh. no, but there's no proof. Oh, <laughs> He's going to be here all week, all week, ladies and gentlemen. You're welcome for that. Rob Blasey, everybody. 
You're welcome. You guys do all the heavy lifting, so I'll try to make it light at times. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for listening. Pastor Darren Enns, thank you for joining us. Oh, pleasure as always. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you as well. Until next time. And thanks for listening. I'm Rob Blasi. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.